Hey folks, there are new developments in the House Select Committee's investigation into the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Former President Trump is suing in an attempt to block the release of documents from the National Archives. And former White House Chief Strategist Steve Bannon defied the subpoena to testify before the committee, and now the panel is considering recommending a criminal contempt of Congress charge against him. In other news, the Department of Justice is bringing a challenge to Texas's restrictive abortion law back to the Supreme Court, this time asking the justices to reinstate a ban on enforcement of the law while the court weighs the law's constitutionality. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. So by way of background and context, the Biden administration has authorized the release of a number of documents and materials from the National Archives that ordinarily wouldn't be released for some period of years. And the archives have said that barring some court intervention, they plan to release those documents by November 12th. And that's what has prompted the suit by the Trump folks and the Trump team to prevent that from happening using this language that you've described. Do they have a chance at success? Well, it's interesting. You know, I have a question for you. I think the Trump lawsuit is weak and we can discuss this. But as you say, the archives have said that they will go ahead and release documents unless a court tells them not to. Usually it's Trump who's trying to play the delay game with courts. But here, it seems to me that unless a court enters an order before then that blocks archives, that they can go ahead and release the documents. Do you agree? Yeah, he has no choice. I mean, what is often true in lawsuits, and we've discussed this before when we talked about the example of the the demolishing of my house and why a preliminary injunction is important in that kind of case, whether the status quo benefits you or not matters. And we'll get to this maybe when we talk about the abortion law. It depends on, on what the default is. And here, because the documents are in the possession of the archives and they have made a particular decision, the default is release. As opposed to what's happening in the Bannon situation, where Steve Bannon is the autonomous human being who can decide to testify or not. So it's, it's a slightly different, you know, pragmatic posture. It's interesting. I mean, Trump will probably seek a preliminary injunction, or at least that's what, what one would expect. But on the merits of this lawsuit, at least reading this complaint, he's in trouble out of the gate. He's got three arguments. One, Congress is engaging in a witch hunt. Meh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever write that in a brief? Meh? Yeah. No, I I never have written meh, but, you know, it seems to me that it's legit. There's a very inside law joke that brings to mind from years ago, and maybe non-lawyers will appreciate it, but I remember seeing this list, and it was like, this is like 25 years ago. It was like, top 10 signs you've been practicing law too long, and one one of the top 10 signs you've been practicing too long was something like, your reply briefs just read, yada, 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 bite me. <laughs> <laughs> right. The reply brief is the third third brief. You know, it's sort of like the plaintiff You're just makes tired of arguing, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Now, they don't say yada, yada, yada in Alabama, do they? Yada, yada, yada. I've never heard anybody say that down here, but I don't know what our equivalent how is. About, how about bite me? 
I've heard bite me a time or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where were we? I've, I've gotten lost, but I think we were talking about the three things Trump argues. Witch hunt, meh. No legitimate legislative purpose to what Congress is doing. You know, if looking into the the root cause of a, an attempted insurrection and figuring out how to avoid it isn't a legitimate legislative purpose, well, then bite me. An executive privilege. This is the Trump argument that I think is still a loser, but he may get a little bit more play here than people are anticipating, don't you think? I think so, maybe. Can we pause on the legislative purpose? Because I think this is sort of interesting and confusing to people generally and even to me. Tell me if you agree with the following. Congress's main role, right, its main function is legislative. And by legislative, I mean, you know, the passing of laws. We call them lawmakers. That's what Congress does about spending, about trade, about taxation, all sorts of things. Now, when they investigate something and they act in their oversight capacity, the Trump folks are taking, I think, a somewhat extreme view by arguing that even when you're engaged in oversight, whether it's of the Commerce Department or the Justice Department or anything else, there has to be some basis to believe that it would affect and impact and help them deliberate over and contemplate new laws they would pass or amend. The Justice Department makes an argument that oversight is within a primary function of the legislature. And the way I read their document doesn't necessarily have to lead concretely to the passage of new laws. Do you have a view as to whether or not there has to be, at least at the end of the day, some plausible and articulable reason and basis for shaping a law, even if the primary you know, function at the moment that's being argued over is oversight and inquiry? I think that the the limit of congressional power here clearly is that they're not prosecutors, right? They can't, for instance, do an investigation with the goal of turning evidence over to DOJ. They clearly can do things that involve legislation. And and here's, I think, a, a good context point. The 9-11 Commission, a, a commission that sought to learn the truth and uncover evidence about what happened, did ultimately have some legislative impact. So those two functions aren't mutually exclusive. But oversight is something that was never part of the Trump administration's agenda. And they are quick to move past that. And while oversight might have legislative components, and, and I think here the, the easy argument, frankly, for Congress is to say that there likely will be legislation coming out of this better protection for the Capitol or, or what have you. But in terms of pure oversight and looking into whether people in the executive branch of government had foreknowledge of efforts to overturn a legitimate election, efforts to overrun the Capitol, that seems to me to be clearly justified oversight. And let's just assume for the purposes of argument that there was no possibility of new legislation coming out of this inquiry. Even then, you would have to agree that Congress has the ability to do that or it would really reduce to nothing the notion that we have three branches of government and a system of checks and balances. It's so weird to me that in this context, that's a matter of debate in part, as you point out, the thing that they're making the inquiry about was an attack on themselves. So, so in other circumstances, they might be investigating, you know, travel abuses by a cabinet secretary once upon a time, insider trading by Martha Stewart even, 
or as we've seen in recent months and years, inquiries into how big tech companies are conducting themselves and engaging in censorship or not, depending on who's doing the talking and who's asking the questions. But here, it seems bizarre to argue that an independent branch of government that was under actual violent attack, where people were were looking to harm the Speaker of the House, that that body can't investigate what happened in connection with a violent attack on themselves, right? I mean, I know this phrase has been uttered in a completely different context, but it seems to apply here also. If the Constitution is not a suicide pact, then you've got to be able to investigate an attack on yourself. Agree? Yeah, absolutely agree. And and it's not so long ago that there were lengthy investigations into Benghazi and into the violent overrun of the embassy there. Yeah, what was the legislative implication of the Benghazi investigation? I mean, I suppose there's something for everything. <laughs> you know, it seems to me that there's less there, right? I mean, if you think the Benghazi investigation was okay, then this certainly, this January 6th investigation must be. But let me ask you a question. You're a more careful reader than I am. Did you see somewhere in the DOJ filing an argument, or did you see in the House resolution that it will be voted on at the time that this podcast gets released this evening about why Steve Bannon should be held in contempt of Congress, a dissertation of any kind about the legislative purpose of this investigation? Maybe I'm not a more careful reader than you are because I didn't. It's a little odd, given that that's one of the arguments, even if we think that it's not a main argument, it's not a chief argument, if there are plausible bases to argue that this inquiry will lead Congress to think about passing new laws or invalidating some, you know, or, or repealing some laws, why wouldn't you include that? That's an interesting point. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> <That's what I'm> <laughs> I don't know either. Because in the other context, I feel like in Mazars, you had a committee chairman, if I recall correctly, making an argument about what kinds of laws might arise from an inquiry of the president's finances including, and I might be misremembering this, but including laws relating to financial disclosures of candidates and people who occupy the office of the presidency, at least they made those arguments in passing. Here, I don't know why you would just forfeit that point. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. They were under attack in the Mazars case where there was an argument that Congress was just trying to go after Trump to embarrass him or, or for whatever reasons. I would almost view that as in terms of where I started here, that Congress doesn't have the power that prosecutors have. And they apparently felt pressure in that setting and responded directly to it. I wonder if the answer to your question isn't that the January 6th committee views their role as being so squarely within Congress's lane that they just really didn't feel the need to get into that argument. I think if you and I were drafting it, we would have added at least some small section about that. Absolutely. We say, look, it's not necessary, but to the extent, but to the extent that that's being argued, and to the extent a court cares about the possibility of legislative action as a result of the inquiry, here are all manner of ways in which legislative function is implicated, and I would have just included that. I think so. Congress seems more worried, at least in in the document that they've released so far, the report. They seem to be a lot more concerned about the executive privilege argument. What you texted me last, you texted me last night. And people, we should know. You know, Joyce and I don't rehearse the show, and we don't do a long sort of conversational outline. Although we get excellent materials prepared for us, and we do a lot of reading, but every once in a while we'll text each other about something. And, and you texted me last night. So they make all these arguments about how Congress 
is, you know, outside of its lane. They say the inquiry is vexatious. It's a fishing expedition. The requests are sweeping and overbroad and boundless and all this other stuff. And then at the end, they throw in, and you you took a screenshot of this and sent it to me. They say, in the alternative, the Presidential Records Act is unconstitutional. And I said, <laughs> was that the entirety of the analysis of the unconstitutionality of the Presidential Records Act? <laughs> you said, yep. <laughs> That's just bizarre. It's from left field, right? I mean, no Presidential Records Act, which which would mean that the president's records wouldn't become part of the public domain ultimately. That's a big argument to make. You don't make it as an aside with no citation to law or anything else, especially when it's been up- the constitutionality of it has been upheld before. So that that's just I mention it because it's a sign of the lack of quality of the of the brief. Although it's not by any means the worst brief filed on behalf of the interests of Donald Trump. Where do you rate this compared to the Kraken briefs? I mean, Kraken briefs were so hellacious and terrible and it resulted in sanctions. I don't think this results in that. I think it's it's a Hail Mary pass from a lawyer who doesn't have a lot to work with and it has the feel of arguments being dictated by Donald Trump. And it sounds like some of the arguments they made in the Mazars case, you know, they're just taking an extreme position. It's not completely wackadoodle, but it's an extreme position that's unsupported by precedent that Congress has no business doing what they're doing. And that's just not right. But it's not outlandish in the way the Kraken lawsuits were, where they were endorsing and offering scenarios of weird people in Italy. I forget what what the allegations are. (laughs) They're so crazy. This is not that. I think you're right that it's a Hail Mary. And what Trump is hoping is that he can hang that ball up in the air for a long time. This is just all a delay game. Yeah, well, we should state the obvious. It's the middle of October of 2021. In 13 months, less than 13 months, we have a midterm election. The House could change hands as of January 2023. And I hate to just say this to folks who may be living on a cloud, there's a tremendous chance that the House changes hands again back to the Republicans. That's just historically the case during the midterm elections. The opposing party makes lots of gains in the House. And here, I think they only have to win five seats. If all of this is still being argued and debated and litigated in 13, 14, 15 months, what happens the day that the Republicans take over the House? All of this gets shut down that day. Agree? Yeah. New chairwoman for this committee, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, (laughs) converts it into proceedings to impeach President Biden, right? Yeah. So I think that that timing thing is going on. So should we talk about another aspect of this? Steve Bannon. And, you know, I think one of the most common questions that I've been getting and probably you've been getting and we've been getting on the show is how can people defy subpoenas from Congress? Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.